0: I, I had to leave everything I knew behind including, your business. including my business and that was the hardest thing for me because like I said I had to find who I was with what I did and once I no longer had that I thought well who am I now? Mm-hmm. For as much as I've done it's not so much what I've done but who I've raised so my yeah. greatest legacy are my two kids.
1: Yolanda, I am so, so, so glad that you are here joining me on the podcast. Um, we met a few months ago in Tijuana at the um, at a charity event that you were organizing. And um, what I was telling you earlier that I was uh, waiting to see it um, live <laughs> or or for it to be recorded is that I was so surprised to, to see the level of involvement and passion that all you ladies put into this into this event. It was it was quite frankly unbelievable. Um, so then when and I, I participated as one of the sommeliers and after the event I came back and I started researching, kind of like being nosy on all of you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I I just I was just like okay I i like, who is this Yolanda person? And you know, I started being nosy on your Instagram, and I was looking at all these different things about you, and it was so intriguing to me, and I was so um, just impressed. Thank you. Um, that's why I decided to reach out and
0: to invite you to be on the podcast, and I'm so grateful that you accepted well, of course, I was thrilled. How could I say no to one of the amazing women who donated their time and their expertise and their efforts so that collectively we could make the dinner benefiting this incredible food relief kitchen such a success? I mean, it wouldn't have been possible were it not for for you. Um, Mina and Romina and the whole crew of sommeliers and um that came in and were just um added so much to an evening that was you know all all about food and wine and women and giving back and making our community better so of course when I I see you um your note, I thought, well of course I have to go. No. I mean hello. Uh, everything
1: <laughs> thank is thank incredible. For those listening, Yolanda is enjoying the view <laughs> and sipping champagne. That's right,
0: that's right. So thank
1: that up. that that helps make the, the whole
0: experience a little bit more uh, warm. Stunning view, <laughs> spectacular champagne I and mean, sitting thank here you. with an incredible um Role models for women and wine. I mean, thank you. What a wonderful well,
1: problem. I'm gonna, I have a list of things that, um, you know, when I, when I said all the things that caught my attention about you, I have a list. <laughs> I'm gonna go through this list because I want people, you know, before we dive into your journey, I want people to just know a little bit about the incredible things that you've achieved and the incredible person that you are and how you contribute to society every day, literally. Okay, so as a Mexican-American, you've previously been known as the voice of the border and served as a media liaison and interpreter for four Mexican presidents, Pulitzer Prize winners, and Nobel Prize winners. We'll have to talk about that. (laughs) You are a founding member of the Club de Niños y Niñas de Tijuana and the Fundación Internacional de la Comunidad. This was Baja California's first community foundation with an endowment fund. You are on the board of directors of the San Diego Foundation and a member of the executive board of the local office of the American Heart Association. You established the Binational Dos Aguilas Gala for the San Diego Natural History Museum. You co-founded This Is About Humanity, an organization that raises awareness and funds for separated children and families at the US-Mexico border. You are an active member of Fundación Tijuana Sin a charitable organization that feeds over 3,000 people from different shelters in Tijuana daily. You've also been involved in the San Diego Museum of Art, San Diego National History Museum, San Diego Latino Film Festival, and probably a lot of other things that I'm missing <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you are a change maker and binational influencer in the San Diego and Baja region. That's a lot of hats, and you clearly weld them all <laughs> <in> your well. <mom. laughs> what did I miss? Did I miss a lot of things? Oh my gosh. Uh,
0: you know, it's been a lifetime that I've spent here in Baja and I think that for as long as I can remember, giving back to our community is something that I've always done. You know, when I was known as the voice of the border, and I had my interpretation firm. the length of the U.S.-Mexico border in the 10 border states. You know, when I hosted the Latino Film Festival um, for quite a while. In my various um, awareness, friend, and fundraising campaigns for different causes and organizations on both sides of the border, always giving back something that has uh, been fundamental so and as my life has evolved I've hit different areas um, and industries and focal points depending on whatever is happening in my life mm-hmm. so that's why it seems you know San Isidro health or mm-hmm. or you know anything it's so diverse it's, yes. it's also diverse yes. so take, take me back take me back were you born in San Diego? I was born in San Diego.
1: Okay. And you were raised in, in the, the border. So. I was raised
0: on both sides of the border, but it was really um, halfway through my junior year here in San Diego mm-hmm. that I was recruited to an Ivy League back east. And um, at that time, my dad, well, he was very old school, number mm-hmm. one, and we probably weren't aware of the fact that he had brain cancer. But yeah. he, at that point, moment, said... Yeah, you're not going back east, we're actually moving to Tijuana. Like within two weeks, we went from San Diego to Tijuana, you know, and so it was a very um, radical so how shift. So how old were you? What I was um, probably, so probably like 15-ish. So that's
1: interesting because most people do it the other way around, right? right? I mean, at 14, 15, that's when they start... And, yeah, that's when they come to San Diego, searching things in San Diego. And in your case, it was the other way around. It was the
0: other way around. So overnight, basically, we uh, switched countries and cultures. And um, so life as I knew it was no longer. And I was at a high school in Tijuana. and. Um, you know just adjusting to this new normal um my dad died uh you know a few years thereafter and i'm the oldest of five yeah. so um even though my mom said at that point you know you can go off now yeah. to pursue your academic endeavors i was like well i don't think i can leave you behind with really you know the other four years. so i'll stay here so um but, but because I did so, you know, I, I feel like the family was able to flourish. Mm-hmm. I also, by happenstance, you know, found a niche for myself as uh, as an interpreter and a translator, and I built my company out of that. So I would say that everything happens for a reason. But yeah. certainly, it was a a wild kind of detour down, um, at least initially. To How people. was it moving to decline? Was it? Was it? I mean, I'm sure it was a shock because
1: even though you know, I mean, it's it's so close yet it's extremely different. Um, were you fighting that, or were you just accepting it and kind of rolling with it? How how was that challenge? I certainly
0: was drag kicking and screaming. I said before I will not lie. Yeah. But I certainly am someone who always looks for silver linings, and I've always learned to, um, you know, pivot, seize the moment, you know, rise like a phoenix, yeah. like a, You know, what's my next? So I think that was certainly part of where that started. Um, it was a tijuana that was, uh, you know, a little uh, the height of a crazy heyday. Mm. Um, so it was certainly a steep learning curve in terms of what was happening there. But at the same time, those experiences helped position me in terms of, you know, things that are, that are assets, that have been assets in my life. You know, being bilingual, being bicultural, um, being able to traverse, this bi-national landscape at the three levels of government, from presidential, state, municipal level, um, being well-versed in all these nuances that you can only detect and become familiar with if you had the opportunity to live like I did on both sides. So, but you were exposed to many of this, these things
1: then also, I'm assuming, right, because it's, you were, um, you being so well versed is because you were probably exposed as a young kid to that from your parents. Yes, and I'm assuming like they, they, um, that's something that they, um, placed in you and that should be shared with you from the start so that you could be that a well rounded person in the border, right? Because I know a lot of people from the border that are <laughs> so. no, it's it is
0: true. My father surprisingly enough was self-taught he, he never went to the university but it was it was the importance that he placed on the value of knowledge mm-hmm. that he was able to convey to us so well that it's been kind of like a guiding tenet in my own life and, and maybe, maybe not in my own life because it was kind of interrupted by my dad himself yeah. but in my, in my children's life you know, I, that desire for knowledge, to expand upon it, to learn, to be in an ever-evolving state is something that I see reflected in them. So it is thanks to that that and it's made it to, to yeah, to. To transition to yes. your family and, and your legacy. Yes, that's right. Okay.
1: So then you open your translation services company. Yes. And how how did that, he just, I mean, was that something that occurred to you that you thought would have, you probably saw a need at the time?
0: Languages have always um, come somewhat easily to me. Mm -hmm. And I recall being, you know, 14 years old, and, you know, my parents would ask me to come and interpret for any number of dignitaries um, that might come to the house. Um, just to interpret for them. So it, it's something that I think from an early age I was able to do. I have the skill set. Um,
1: you have the confidence then. Because I think, yeah, you need to have a certain level yes, of confidence yes. to interpret. Especially if your parents were at the time just asking you, like, jump in. Yes. Jump <laughs> in and stand in front of yeah. those people and just,
0: you know, do what you do. Uh, so I think I already have that in my real house. Um... When my dad died and I you know was at such a young age and I was trying to figure out what I could do and he had uh, you know some some employees that remained with us and were looking for what they could continue to do I was able to um, you know capitalize on my studies as a as an interpreter as a translator and um, transition, you know, from being an interpreter in the legal system to setting up a company to provide simultaneous conference interpretation wow. services, and it was incredible. I was a, It was a niche that had not been fully developed, and my goal was to be known, you know, as the best interpreter along the 2,100 miles of US-Mexico border. That's fabulous. That's so cool. And it was an incredible time and uh, a moment where I had the opportunity to interact with stakeholders and individuals from all industries, political, um, education, immigration, arts, culture, people who were responsible for creating infrastructure that um, contributes to our sustainable development, you know, thoughts and ideas Mm -hmm. which know no borders, Um, environmental cutting-edge pilot programs, counter-bioterrorism, Scotland Yard, you name it. It was was like the wildest thing to be involved in a way that I was facilitating Mm -hmm. Communication between all these different stakeholders, and more importantly, contributing to our regional, you know, viability and 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 the ability for Calibaja to thrive. So it was, um, you know, I I interpreted for presidents of Mexico, for the president of Spain, for governors from the ten border states. Um, on really every every issue under the wildest of circumstances, important events, groundbreaking moments, moments in the community. But each and every one of those touch points somehow helped move our our region forward. So you were exposed to so much. Yes. I mean
1: so much. It's interesting, right? Because going back to knowledge, how You were exposed to all this knowledge and all these different walks of life and programs and and art and, you know, all these different things and that must have just sparked your curiosity like crazy on so many different topics.
0: Well, you know, because I had to know as much as the experts that I was interpreting for. So if it was something like a tertiary hazardous waste treatment system or something very technical, Um, in terms of liquefied natural gas or, you know, each area has its very, you know, deep set of Terminology of processes of individuals, of acronyms, in words, yes, and, yes in in words, words that are very
1: important. I mean, right, even now, you just let the by national gas LNG, yes, <laughs> LNG, and yeah. nobody knows what they're talking about, but it's interesting because, yeah, of course, I mean, you have now all this knowledge gained throughout the years of, of interpreting, and, and you were clearly just overall um, excited and, and interested about these topics. that's. That's amazing. Yeah. Were you doing this on your own or at some point did you have other people also
0: no. under the umbrella of your company? Yes. I built it up and, um, you know, we had all the the wireless headsets like they do with the United Nations Very, so that you yeah. could listen to it simultaneously and, you know, several rooms of binational interactions could be going on at the same time. So. When well, we did some of these larger events, like the Border Governors Conference, and they would have you know ten or twelve sessions at the same time, and we had two interpreters per room, and I had technicians setting up, and so it was this whole you know technical and interpreting entourage. Like mm-hmm. you know, we arrived, we set up, and then um, we departed. It was uh, it was incredible. We did several. We did presidential advance visits mm-hmm. for. We sent that folks and we came to California, cool. um, you know, and several other instances were not only in Mexico, not only at the border, but, you know, with pit stops throughout yeah. the state. Um, just, how long were you doing that for? I did that for over 15 years. At one point, I think I defined who I was with what I did, which was you know, the voice, of being the voice mm-hmm. of the border. Because so. that transitioned into
1: a media, more media PR for you,
0: right? Yeah, I, at, at one point I came back to San Diego with my two kids. Um, yes, you were doing this in Tijuana? I was doing it in Tijuana, okay. based out of Tijuana. Okay. And, um, you know, due to personal circumstances, mm-hmm. we, we came back, the kids and I, from from uh, Tijuana to San Diego, and so at that point, I always think I've lived several lives, so that was that life, <laughs> and yeah. then we returned here, and-, um, and well, How old were your kids when you guys- um, Under one, and then probably three. Okay. So awesome. they were quite Little. Yeah, they were very, yeah.
1: Yeah, weird, weird, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it, so yeah, there's just a, a, a big chunk of your life there, those 15 years, right, with your company, Doing all that and then you come to San Diego and you started a
0: new chapter. I did. I think I I I found myself in the midst of the San Diego Latino Film Festival, which I was very involved with um, for quite a while. And then it just morphed out into media relations, PR, liaisoning with um, different organizations, and and then becoming even more involved in Spearheading fundraising initiatives mm-hmm. for different causes that um, are important to our communities on both sides of the border. So things like San e. Little health and providing access to um, healthcare for people that you know traditionally haven't had it or are eligible things like scholarships for diversity and inclusivity mm-hmm. at Francis Parker, so that. You know, um, children who might not otherwise have the opportunity to access higher education—you know—a different kind of education format could. Um, and it's just—it's—it's—I've it's, jumped from one to another for different lengths of time, just depending on my areas of interest. The San Diego Natural History Museum. Yes. Yeah.
1: Something yes,
0: when I, I read loved. that I was like, oh, wow, interesting. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I was there not too long
1: ago and it's a really nice museum.
0: It, it is a nice museum. What I loved about it, it, it was and still is, um, one of the first institutions whose mission statement was binational, so no. I loved that about it. And I think through my activities with uh, the Environmental Protection Agency and their Mexican counterparts and just being super exposed to um, environmental opportunities and challenges, I loved what the Natural History Museum was doing. <laughs> and when I became involved with them, uh, we I chaired the first Binational Gala that San Diego Tijuana had ever had. Wow. And it was incredible to be able to honor individuals on both sides of the border, you know, that were outstanding in their field, people like Christy Walton of the Walmart Waltons or Deborah Zeke of Rancho La Puerta. And to um, and and their Mex and you know, Mexican outstanding mm-hmm. leaders like Josefi Mures of Calimax, and Enrique Gamboa of the Boys and Girls Club at and y and Niñas, mm-hmm. which is um, as you mentioned, one of the boards that I was on, it's the first boys and girls club outside of Canada and the US mm-hmm. ever. So we had the opportunity to really, you know, make an impact with uh, with both Aguilas and mm-hmm. and something that is little known, that was the first ever binational chef and wine showcase. Oh. There are so many of those now. I, I know. know. that was the first one. That's I and mean, and Javier Blasencia, who is today, you know, was this year was named uh, Mexico's top chef 2023. Mm-hmm. He was my first lead chef way back then. I wow. found something that dated back. I, well, in this case, I think it was for the March of Dimes 2011. I think Los Aguilas was probably earlier 2004, 2006. And you were
1: one of the pioneers in all this movement with the, the
0: chefs and the- Diego Paferrano, Benito Molina, all the chefs uh-huh. before they, before Bayou became uh-huh. trendy and as well known, um, were a part of it. Uh, did you
1: always see a, a potential there? Did you see it as something that, um, speaking of value, did you See that as a place and as a region that could
0: explode. As yeah. A, well, otherwise, yes. Because specifically for that showcase, you know, while Javier was a each every one mm-hmm. of them of of the of the chefs and and the vintners were from Valle, I mean, with one or two exceptions, but but for the most part, from the Baja side. Um, so. We always laugh, Javier and I, about that because it dates back that, you yeah. know, so long ago. And yes. that's my new chest again, so this is yeah. what humanity is Oh, very cool. So that's wonderful. It's full yes. circle. Yeah, um But I, lo- I love that.
1: How, how have you, like, over the years, how have you decided how, uh, where to invest your time and your energy? Because it's a lot of projects that you like, um, Um, taken over the years and of course with the experience that you have the the wealth of knowledge that now you bring to the table i'm sure there are a lot of organizations knocking on your door right and just trying for you to be a part of them so how do you how do you define which ones you will spend time on and like what what do these um nonprofits organizations associations just uh, companies what do they need to have in order for them to capture
0: your attention? In the past, I think it was perhaps a little bit more tied into my kids, things like the Natural History Museum or the Ronald McDonald House House that that serves many Latino uh, children at, at Rady's Children's Hospital. Um, Francis Parker, those were all kind of tied in to them. Mm-hmm. San Isidro Health, I was able to um, co chair that girl with my daughter Andy, the senior, when the year she was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the fact that I've been able to, to help foster philanthropy in Baja. So with the Fundación Internacional de la Comunidad, as you mentioned. It was California's, Baja California's first community foundation with an endowment fund. So all of these um, organizations similar to that fostered a broader culture of civic engagement in in Baja, which has always been super important to me. So certainly that was a factor. When I was on the Board of Governors of the San Diego Foundation, also trying to um, you know, project a different perspective of the Latino community and such a large foundation that's re-granted over a billion dollars worth. Mm-hmm. So, it's more ultimately I have to be passionate. Mm-hmm. It like it has to resonate with me. If it does, then I'll do it. And if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how prestigious or you know, I I have people have to be able to. See that passion and enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, I mean the way I saw it at
0: that, 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 that event, <laughs> then, yes, honestly, like that, like
1: that, that, that. The passion that I saw was it was amazing. it's yeah. it so impressive to see just how much um, you and know, the rest of the ladies were just pouring yourself into this event
0: that helped so many people in the end, right? So many children, especially. So many children. I I will say that most recently. Um, my philanthropic endeavors have been very, very tight and focused um, with This Is About Humanity. We're coming on the fifth, the fifth year since co-founding it. and
1: um, So tell me about This Is About Humanity.
0: Okay, I want to hear all of that. This Is About Humanity uh, was established in response to the separated and reunified families crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. And so along with my sister Elsa Collins, who's in Los Angeles, and Zoe Winkler-Rainas, Reynes, is Henry Winkler-Affontes' daughter, the three of us established that um, initially to raise awareness and funds and then to structure um, strategic partnerships with shelters on the ground and programs that would help alleviate or mitigate some of the issues that were there for example provide access to legal services or make sure that you know housing was available in Out or um, educational spaces and so we started working on that with um, experiential in-person bus trips mm-hmm. we have an incredible network of supporters and donors that are very high profile and have significant platforms to further share their experiences of what was really happening on the ground and i've been on the ground this entire time Mm -hmm. and through the pandemic and so because in person wasn't available then we transitioned and i created a series of matching grants Mm -hmm. with donors on both sides of the border so that our efforts were more Mm far-reaching collectively than they could have been if each one of us had individually tried to do Mm -hmm. something, so we targeted things like COVID relief or health issues or education Mm -hmm. and did it super successfully, um, especially in in several fields. So like I would say right now, our three stand out like kind of showcase programs out of the 40 nonprofits that we support. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is Lulotecas Learning Libraries programs. And so we have shelters that are in shelters that where we install um, learning libraries, spaces for kids to learn Mm -hmm. and to play that would otherwise have no space to do that in. And so we have seven shelters with fully stocked and staffed mm-hmm. look like us so That's all of fun. this
1: is under this is, about is under this is about humanity wow so you, you mentioned 40. well so yes i mean about... we
0: support them in different uh-huh. you know different. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, different amounts.
1: so then how do you decide on, on those like how do you select those 40.
0: well some of are the... you part of that process of the selection yes. process yes okay. yes so some of them all of them have to do with one of our thematic areas so Mm -hmm. some of them fall under the educational one and they receive grants for that some of them fall within our lgbtq pride grants some of them um, are within the health sector grant so we do have um requests for proposals in certain instances like during the pandemic we opened it up broadly and then selected organizations and In certain cases, there are shelters and organizations that we've worked with that we continue to do so. Um, We have just completed a very successful mental health services Mm -hmm. matching grant for children and teens at the U.S.-Mexico border Mm -hmm. with United Way Mexico and fundacion Caram. Carreño. That's been amazing, so 10,000 children and teens um, receive different kinds of um, mental health services and preventative care at the border. And then the kitchen which is that that was an idea that i had and as soon as i had it i was like i should not have this idea <laughs> and i should just you know put my hand over my mouth sit on my ads, pretend i didn't hear anything but oh, you couldn't but i couldn't so we had been we had partnered with world central kitchen um, in the food insecurity space since they and we started working in Tijuana, And four years later, their mission statement is not long-term relief operations, Mm -hmm. it's it's shorter-term emergency catastrophic response. And so they called to tell me that they were shutting down the kitchen. And I was like, (laughs) what are all the shelters that we work with going to do about not being able to receive that meal, one meal a day, six days a week. So I said, give me a weekend to see, can we fund it as a pilot project? And if we fund it, will Fundacer and Tijuana, who we've been working closely with, Manu and I, will they operate it if we fund it? So it's a collective food relief. Mm-hmm. So I called Maru up and I said, I, I hope you're as crazy as I am, but I think there's an incredible opportunity to continue to make an impact and perhaps an even greater one if we say yes, I'm like are you in? Yes or no? We took off running from there. So that was last August. It will be one year this August since we decided to do that and so we took over the kitchen and now we've increased the number of meals that we serve mm-hmm. to 3100 meals as yeah. you said and we're serving 19 shelters which in numbers will mean we're tracking to almost 1 million meals a year which is that is impressive crazy. That, <laughs> and that's for that is a strength that is that, that is amazing
1: and so, so you must feel very proud of yourself i hope you and <laughs> your children are very proud yes, of yourself the yes,
0: yes. your entire family that is, that is amazing. Everyone that's, who's involved should be very proud so of, of of what we have been able to achieve and that, you know, people in Tijuana, unaccompanied children, older people, um,
1: migrant
0: families, LGBT, mm-hmm. LGBTQ community, uh, people who are, re- are in really extreme conditions of vulnerability, can know that, you know, six days a week they have a meal coming to them from us. So that's something that I'm very well, well let me ask you, where does this
1: um heart and spirit of philanthropy and just the need to help others, where does that come from? Because not everyone has that and not everyone feels so passionate about it and and is and is um you know ready to invest energy, time, money, heart, soul and and sacrifice, because I'm sure there is a lot of sacrifice behind all of this
0: work throughout the years. Where does it come from? I would say that my parents have, you know, they both gave me and, and my siblings uh, a model to follow and certainly build upon on a personal level. I just, I feel compelled to do what I can to make a difference. So if it's connecting people, if it's saying yes to some crazy ideas mm-hmm. and seeing you know, how we, we are gonna make them happen, if I feel that the cause is the right one, the organization is the right one, and I have people who are like-minded and are wanting and willing to in the work with me then i everyone has time talent and treasure Mm -hmm. to give one two or all three so you know it doesn't matter what your reason is it could be you know because you need to fulfill it for your school hourly service requirements it could be because all your friends are doing it and you know you'll be in the magazine. It could be because it doesn't matter really. Ultimately, what the important thing is that you do it. Obviously, I do it because I I, I have that in my heart. It's my passion. Why I I don't know. I don't so know. what about the the challenges you face? Because
1: and and I'm not just talking um, more recently about all
0: this uh, work that you've done. Terms of outreach in the community and so on,
1: but just in your journey, as you mentioned, you know, you have like, your life can be separated in chunks. Mm-hmm. So, what are those uh, big challenges that you faced, and what was that learning um, that came from them that you can, you know, share with your kids and say, Look, I went through this, but this is what came out of it.
0: Well, obviously the first one I would say was my dad dying, you know, know, before I was 18 and having to realize very quickly that I had to find a way to provide for myself, provide for other people, you know, a way of living, uh, a business, a venture, and learn how to use the resources available to me and within me you know to do that so that was uh of you know the first i think really outstanding challenge that i had after that when i left tijuana and went through my divorce and um you know left because of narco violence in tijuana Mm -hmm. and came across with my kids i think that was in some ways even more difficult, because overnight I had to leave everything I knew behind. Including your business. Including my business. And that was the hardest thing for me because, like I said, I had to find who I was with what I did. And once I no longer had that, I thought, well, who am I now and how do I reinvent myself? And so, that was hard. It <laughs> took a minute.
1: No, that that uh, <laughs> yeah, I almost I almost want us to take a minute. <laughs> that was hard. It was really hard. you built an amazing company, and it must have been so so difficult yes. to let yes. go of that, to let go of your life yes. in in
0: Tijuana, yes. your marriage, and yes. and yeah, yeah, was, it was it was incredibly challenging, and. And it's one of the things that, you know, my kids, we've collectively sacrificed a lot, and I'm so happy that they're thriving and flourishing. And they also know, you know, the different things that I've gone through ultimately to make sure that their well being was what it needed to be, mm-hmm. and that they were safe and that they were healthy and that nothing would happen to them. And so they've been like a that's been the driving force and and impetus to everything I do. So um, those would probably be two of the very, uh, you know, challenging moments Mm -hmm. in my life. And, you know, I think that after that, it's just, you know, leaving some things that maybe no longer make sense, you know, creating some of these outstanding events and then saying, okay, it's time for you to take that on and I'm going to go on to something else. I'm not sure what that is. And, you know, just reassessing how, how it fits in with my life. But I I think that each one of those challenging moments has, you know, made me stronger always. And so,
1: and it's really allowed you to become that truly binational person, right? Yes. And that binational professional. You, you truly understand the dynamic of the border. And it's a difficult dynamic. It's a very, very difficult dynamic. I feel that it's a difficult dynamic. It's interesting. Um, I feel that a lot of people that live in San Diego are not familiar with that dynamic, and vice versa. That you've been able to navigate that and become a voice for both for both sides. And how you were saying when, when you left San Diego you when know, your dad decided you were leaving, going to Tijuana, we were
0: probably like right? yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: I, I know I know But then the
0: same happen on the And I'm never going back. And then I thought to myself, well, oh, that's a lesson learned, never say never. <laughs> yeah,
1: never say um, never.
0: <laughs> because then I obviously have gone back because that's where I thought I was I was needed. Um, how have you navigated the
1: whole, you know, you mentioned the, the that, that very difficult time for Tijuana and the, that whole thing. I think that was 2007, 2008, around that time that it became extremely difficult. Um, my family we lived in Tijuana forever and that's around the time when we moved also mm-hmm. because it was very you know it was tough times. Um how were you able to um, continue and not just continue but really thrive in that binational sphere with with
0: the fear of what of what, what was happening? Well, it, it, was, it was it was scary. It, it was, of course, it was scary, of course. And well, so I have to say first that always in any city, anywhere in the world, there are always extremely good things and extremely negative things about any city. So, having said that, there have been really challenging periods uh, in Tijuana, and I I didn't go back. Literally, for a long time. Yeah. I did not go back. I was like, that's somehow that's done, so I will continue with my activities and supporting probably more the Latino community mm-hmm. here as opposed to the cross border binational community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. So that's where things like, you know. San Isidro Health, um, the other day, yeah, with the Ramón McDonald House, continuing to help the Latino community and certainly the community from Tijuana would access uh, or or be here and access some of these services at the hospital or whatever. Um, so I did I did continue to do that, and then and then one day it was time for me to. Also go back. So mm-hmm. I, you know, how was I, that? Were you? That was a shocker. That was a shocker.
1: I. I hope you went to a nice restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you crossed the border a
0: really nice, yeah. uh, really nice place. Remember, <laughs> amazing friends. Yes. Yeah, and and you know, it's been it's been interesting. And then the past five years have been really consumed with doing a ton of good with uh, you know. A, an issue, which is challenging for our region, mm-hmm. for both cities. Yeah, very challenging. And so, and you know, as as terrible and some of the circumstances that um, we're in, or we see, or we deal with, it just makes you realize that there's so much more that we can do, mm-hmm. and that the magnitude of the issue shouldn't scare you off from attempting to make some part of it better. Yeah
1: what are those um, moments?
0: You know, you've
1: you've been a part of so many amazing projects, and you've led so many amazing projects. Which have been your favorite? You know, when you look back, what are those moments? Where you're like, oh, this this one, this one. You know, just those moments that where you felt extremely proud of yourself um, and just happy with what
0: you accomplished well I know that one more than one because you must have so many <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really enjoyed leading a team of 60 people at Francis Parker um, to raise funds for scholarships for um, our di- for diverse student um, body and I think I what I loved about that was when we we doubled the revenues from one year to the next and hit the million dollar mark and um, but it was like a transformation in attitude amongst everyone on the three campuses and it was incredible to see how contagious the excitement and the conviction in what we were doing you know it was palpable and so I love that all of us working you know motivating each other to achieve our goals super fabulous and fun Um, this is about humanity has been transformative I think we're um, Offering very innovative cross-border models of philanthropy partnerships between um, private sector and you know the donors, the nonprofits, and you know bringing in some um, agents of change in governments and things like that. And so I think that what we're doing, especially with things like the relief kitchen or some of these matching grants, you know are something that people in other parts of the border can look towards to replicating. And so, I love that. I love seeing how people on a broader geographical scale that aren't necessarily tied in um, physically or in any other way, but are, are brought together by this desire to do good for others and for these very vulnerable communities i i love seeing the and it's that same spirit which you know permeates a group of of like-minded friends of families of donors of individuals so i love that i would say that for me it was a full circle moment when I was, uh, I received the Charles Nathanson uh, Memorial Award for Cross Border Region Building mm-hmm. from uh, Leeds San Diego as part of their Visionary, visionary Awards. Um, specifically because when I had started out in my interpretation career, Charles Nathanson. With Standard Dialogue was one of my first clients and projects. Mm-hmm. And so we worked on fostering cross border collaboration. And so for years later, for me to receive that award it was just like a very,
1: oh my God,
0: full circle moment. Wow. I love yes. that. That was yes. very that, cool. That sounds very, very special. Yes, very it was. And mm-hmm. the last one, just because it was the most recent one. No, support, yes, I love it. Um, June 28th was named, this is about day, Humanity Day, by the San Diego County Board of Supervisors and Cheerwomen. So that was Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Do, do you
1: have time for hobbies? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm a badass bachatera. No way. Um, oh, yes
1: no but yes. i've been wanting to learn bachata for a really long time oh you time. have to all, all my friends know this i love bachata what are you waiting
0: for well a place to go to oh i would recommend a place <laughs> okay, to okay. To go. okay no worries well, about that as uh, so, you can start so, tomorrow so how did you even get started on that well it was through the latino film festival because i'll have you know i had no coordination ever in my entire life i was the clumsiest person you've ever seen it was terrible. I mean, straws in my eye, falling I know, off. I know. I mean,
1: yeah. you're a good bunch of bands. Well, well,
0: 10,000 hours plus of anything, awesome. so I was hosting the Latino Film Festival, and we had this opening night festivity, mm-hmm. and there was an 18-piece Mambo mm-hmm. Orchestra, and out onto the dance floor came out these amazing dancers and one of the board members. and asked me to dance, and I was so embarrassed. I literally wanted to disappear. <laughs> Did you do it, though? Did oh, I, no. I mean, <laughs> 10 seconds into it, I was like, yeah, this is so embarrassing and humiliating. Probably more for, so for him than for me, but I'm like, ah. And I gave myself one year. I said, that is never going to happen to me again. Wow. And so I. And geez. it was that track? It was salsa. I okay. started off in street salsa. See, salsa is even harder. I, 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 I prefer bachata. I, I, that that I
1: think bachata is so sensual. Yes, it's, yeah, it, uh, exactly. It, it's, I, I love it, bachata is like, too fast for me. It I is. Think I a little bit
0: dizzy. Well, that's, that's the way I went and I did it for a year. I trained, I joined a dance team. I, I mean, it was, I Are already, you still doing it? No. I, yeah, I, you must go I, dance. I you have to go dance. Once in a while, but, chat, but definitely, definitely, butchapa. Oh I I will connect I you. I love this. Yes, so, please. So you can give your audience an update. I will. The next podcast. Oh, 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 an and <laughs> I try to do And class. we'll
1: have to. We'll have once I'm at it, in a good place. We'll have to dance yes. together. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So if. I'm going to say 80. If 80 years from now, um, someone were to describe you in three words, what would you like those three words to be? Think about it. Have a champagne. Oh my God. Three, three words. Three words is three words. Words. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. You know, someone, maybe one of your grandkids is describing you. Three words.
0: Three words, like nouns, whatever you want. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, my man. Like, my greatest legacy is not what I, not have, for as much as I've done, it's not so much what I've done but who I've raised. So my greatest legacy are my two kids, by far. Um, They're incredible. They're amazing. And if anybody wants to know who I am at my core, they just have to look at them and then they get me immediately. Yeah. So, <laughs> 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 so that will be number one. Um, no, no. No, no. And I've always been an outlier. Mm. So I've always followed my own path. And it's a path of conviction, and I stand in my conviction, sometimes to my, you know, sometimes, you know, circumstances are interesting when you decide to stand in it and not necessarily bend to the rules or to the crowd or what have you so I say outli- out I say outlier in a positive frame mm-hmm. of reference so I definitely say that um, third one um, what would a word be? Not so much a philanthropist, but someone who you know, who gives of themselves. Mm-hmm. She gave all she had of herself to others, to others, to my kids. Philanthropist is the word,
1: but for some reason, it doesn't feel like that word really. No. It really encapsulates that feeling. Yes. Um, yeah. Just. You know, of course Yes, help. exactly. Exactly, pouring yourself yeah. into the ones you love, the ones just someone that pours.
0: Yes, exactly. So whenever you, that's the third. That's the third, that's word. The third
1: word. I <laughs> describe the third. Word. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I am Thank so you. so glad that. Um, I'm so glad that you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you invited me and that I'm functioning
0: yeah, in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> those that don't know,
1: Mila wakes up at 4 a.m. That's great.
0: 4 a.m. Okay. and that is how she achieves all these things. <laughs> oh my god. But this <laughs> is pretty really incredible. It's been very um, thoroughly enjoyable and the view is incredible insane and the conversation it so I did well, yeah. I, I did um, a lovely bit of champagne and just I mean I'm gonna have to come over here and bring all my friends so we can yes. easily see wine yeah. experiences <laughs> we'll leave a piggy down some much at that yes. all right yes
1: that'll be our place <laughs> yeah. yeah I love Definitely. it well cheers to you thank send you, send you so send much send, 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 send it. it send it send it send it send it